What's up, everybody? This is Justin Flinter coming to you live from Northern Virginia with the Justin Flinter Podcast by My Metro Medicine. In this week's episode, I bring you the podcast version of our recent Ask the Expert interview with Ronnie Abigail, founder and CEO of the Human Library Organization, based out of Denmark and rapidly spreading across the world. I feel both honored and blessed to have not only had the chance to interview Ronnie in person, but to meet him face to face and also contribute to the development of his amazing idea. Ronnie has been changing the world one conversation at a time by allowing individuals, employees, and even corporations the chance to understand that by opening our hearts and our minds in the presence of another person's story, about something that might be unique, frightening, joyous, or even terrifying, or who knows, better or worse, we can put an end to prejudice and judgment, and we can challenge the stigmas that exist, and we can create room for possibility, and more importantly, the possibility for change. I want to send out a humongous thank you to Ronnie Abigail and the Human Library Organization for this amazing opportunity and to his awesome team. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit their website at humanlibrary.org. You can also watch the full interview on YouTube by searching and subscribing to the My Metro Medicine channel. We would love to know what you thought of this podcast version or even the version on YouTube. We hope that uh, you'll enjoy it and we hope that you like the interview with Ronnie, and be sure to check out our other Ask the Expert interviews right here on the Justin Flinter podcast. So thank you so much for listening, and have an amazing day. I'm sorry to be pushing you out of the image here, Justin. (laughs) I'm here with Ronnie Abrego, the CEO, the founder founder of the Human Library. If you haven't heard about what this is, I'm going to ask him a, quote, a couple of questions about this because I think this is an amazing initiative. Uh, and he's right here in Washington, D.C. And I took advantage of the time to ask him if he had a few minutes. So yeah, because I'm very only much. dropping in for a visit. You I'm, are. I'm not in D.C. permanently. No, you're not. Oh, good. So, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, good for you. But, so my first question for you, Ron, is yeah. in 60 seconds or less, can you tell us what is the Human Library? Sure. Um, It's basically a library just like the community library, the public library, or the university library. The difference is we publish people uh, to be open books and to challenge our readers um, to help them gain insight into different communities, different groups, and specifically to try and challenge stigma and stereotype uh, to sort of create a safe space where you can ask freely somebody who volunteered that have personal experience For example, you could borrow a police officer, you could borrow a war veteran, you could borrow a homeless person, person with HIV, person with disability, somebody with a different religion than yours, somebody who comes from a different ethnic group than you do. And then you could speak freely and ask them. So the first time I heard about this when you were here a couple years ago, the concept was obviously foreign to me. The people become a book. Yes. So how how does a person become a book? Most of them volunteer. (laughs) <laughs> In fact, all of them volunteer. Well, there's a process. Yeah, there is a process. See, first of all, we try to um, train all our books. You mean you sign up, you volunteer, you can do that through our website, or if we're at your workplace and there's a call for books, an open call, you can also sign up there. We carry these books in our book depots and then train all books, invite them to a training course. They fill in an application first. 
and invite them on a training course, mm-hmm. help them vet and get their content in order, sort of build their table of content, mm-hmm. help them with their introductions, train them in conversation techniques, because we are not a storytelling format. We look a lot like it, but we're not really. We're a conversation and dialogue format. So the idea is that you borrow this person and talk to them and ask them questions, and it becomes sort of a sitting up in front of a group of people telling a story about their life no. they're actually giving like a synopsis of who they are and then inviting the group to talk about whatever it is that they have gone through their challenge their exactly. life situation etc to help break down barriers to That's help it. break down barriers or to find common ground or common ground. agree to disagree i mean right. there's there's no preset agenda for readers of the human library mm-hmm. the choice is yours who you want to borrow what topic you're interested in, mm-hmm. and what questions you want to ask. Mm-hmm. So in, in this way, you have that freedom that you also have in going to your public library. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can choose between the topics available, find out what's interesting for you to challenge, to learn more about. Sometimes it could be about confronting your own stereotypes. Sometimes it could be about challenging the stigma and what's being said about other groups in the community, and just allowing me to get access to that group and ask these questions myself to get answers. I mean, right now there's a lot of talk about immigrants, about illegal immigrants, there's a lot of talk about refugees, uh, there's a lot of talk about Muslim people, transgender has been a lot up in the media. Um, There are a lot of groups in the community that need to be understood, that would love to be understood, but don't have an opportunity to explain who they are. And here at the Human Library, they actually volunteer for that opportunity. Because if you come in and you ask me a couple questions, and I get a chance to share my knowledge with you, then you walk away knowing more about me and understanding better sure. how I am. And we gotta ask ourselves, who does not want to be understood? So let me ask you then, what's the title of your book? I've carried several, but right now, and how did you know it was a book? He's this guy. <laughs> Better watch for the editing. Um, I'm just saying, um, I was a book, and you know, I, I live by the principle not to ask other people to do things that I haven't been willing to try and do myself. Um, and that goes from cleaning my restroom at my house to cooking <laughs> food and carrying out the trash and doing the laundry and ironing the shirts. I was brought up in a way where you don't be, uh, never be too proud to apologize if you made a mistake, and never ask other people to do things that you're not prepared to do yourself. Yeah. So I was a book in since way back, but I only became like a real book uh, two or three years ago actually here at the fund, mm-hmm. at the IMF in Washington. We were short one book. Uh, one of the books that we had had to leave after the first reading, normally a human library session like the one we're hosting at the IMF, mm-hmm. will give uh, people three readings in a row in our reading hall format, and it's sort of a middle of a diversity journey you get. And so one of our books had to step out after the first reading. There was some emergency at the work. And I stepped in, and my topic is bereavement. Uh, I lost my wife seven years ago, very suddenly. And so I speak about the taboos and stigmas of death, of early death. You know, you're in the middle of life. Our kids were very small. We're on holiday. And all of a sudden, her heart valve collapsed. And there's nothing we could do about it. Uh, She passed. She was 37. When... When I realized years on into the grief that I could be a book on this, it was because of the reactions that people have to death and to sudden death and grief. Because there are, people don't know how to react. And it's perhaps there is no universal solution, I think I know that, but just not doing anything is not the 
right reaction. Right. But people are afraid. They don't want to remind you. They don't want to offend you. They don't want to hurt you. They're actually showing consideration. So they're withdrawing mm -hmm. to give you the space to collect yourself. Mm -hmm. But the only time you don't want to be alone is when you've just lost everything. So. This was not one of the questions I had thought of. No. So obviously, I'm just hearing this for yes. the first time. This must have changed the human library, mm. or maybe your it, it your, impacted. It's definitely impacted the library. It's impacted. It's definitely impacted the library because, and I'll tell you this: before she passed, I was working as a journalist. I was in a different career. I've been doing the human library for 19 years. Yes, or so. But ever since I left my job in the organization where I created the library, right. um, it's been a hobby. It's not something I've been living on. It's been something I've been doing next to my career, promoting the human library, getting as many people as possible to help us get involved. Mm -hmm. And it's it's happened. It took, it took a long time to get where we are mm -hmm. because perhaps the conditions were like that. Mm -hmm. It was a part-time, free time, out-of-pocket project mm -hmm. for 13 years. But when my wife passed, I realized that I need to do, I realized two things. One, you wouldn't know how much time we have, except we got 10 minutes on this thing. There's only seven minutes, three left. We got a couple questions. But, and we don't know how much time we have in this world. And number two, you got to do what's really important. And I realized when she passed that the thing that was important to me was doing this library and fulfilling its potential in the world before my time has passed. Yeah. So I got to carry this through before I got to go. Yeah. to realize the potential this learning platform can have to build community, build understanding, inclusion for other people in grief yeah. and many other groups in the society that is not properly included. So, where do you want to see the most impact? Now that the Human Library has been around for 19 years and you've already seen where people have opened up their conversations, you've made a difference, where do you want to see the most impact? We've made tremendous progress uh, and I'm very happy with that and I think we have an increasing impact for each day as we scale up. Our, in countries that we reach, in amount of events that we're able to host, in the volume of readers that we can treat and offer this opportunity, mm -hmm. treat to this, this unique opportunity for learning. So I'm, where I see this, I see this going everywhere. This is a learning platform. Yeah. Transformative learning is a way we learn from each other, we connect, we relate. Sometimes we agree to disagree. But and given the political okay. circumstances right now, for example, in the US, yeah. that would be a good exercise to sit down and talk and listen to each other I and find so. out what we agree and disagree on. Right. And agree that it's your right to feel like that, it's my right to feel like this. Yeah, there's a lot of tension right There's now. a lot of tension yeah. that didn't have to be there. It did not. It did not have to be there. All we have to do is sit down and realize that, hey, Let's have a beer and relax. Yeah. You know, or something. Let's have a cup of coffee. Maybe we should Let's, do that. Maybe we should, maybe we should just stop the video right now and bring in some Heineken. Oh, we could have. We're bringing some Heineken. At the library, man. <laughs> it serves some I was just a product placement. My, my story would go off on a tangent like you wouldn't believe. I get an open. Uh, I, I'm more and more open the more beer I get. Actually, my book opens more. <laughs> New hidden chapters. What's your favorite beer? I'm going to say Heineken. And, 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 and that's, let's leave it at that. Um, okay. I didn't finish so, the question. You did not. I believe that within a few years we're going to be able to bring this platform online. And once readers can access our books online, 
you could borrow a book in South Korea from Washington. Oh, that would be magnificent. You could borrow a transgender you mean, like, open talk to the person Yes, video, over internet. Or book your session and it's one-on-one. -on -one. I have some questions about being transgender. Can you help me? Yeah. I have questions about eating disorder. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. I'm lonely. Anybody who knows how to cope with this. Here's a book on loneliness. Right. We're going to get millions of people talking, so this isn't even, we're not even halfway there yet. No. Trust me. That's, I mean, 19 years and you've gotten this far. I mean, what are some of the companies that you've done stuff with? Uh, right right now we're working with Heineken. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they do have. They do. They have pretty good beer. I mean, depending. I love it now. For the past three years, I've been drinking nothing but Heineken since they became our first corporate diversity partner. But we're working with the IMF, we're working with the World Bank, we're involved with Microsoft, with eBay, with Amazon just reached out, asked us to do something for them. Uh, we're dealing with Eli Lilly is a good partner of ours, uh, Delta Fawcett Company, Masco, um, I could go on. I yeah, mean, that's, that's we're, a lot. We're I mean, Capital you're, you're One Bank. I don't know if we're all, we're, we're well, getting yeah. good traction from some of the biggest companies yeah. in the world and I think it's because those companies have realized the value of getting a proper understanding and utilizing their diversity. Global companies have a tremendous diversity mm -hmm. and they need to be able to take advantage of that. Any company that's able to do that gets a huge, tremendous corporate edge on everybody else Absolutely. because they got a smooth and functional and dynamic company with less friction because of our ethnic, cultural, religious identity differences. Right. So creating a more tolerant and understanding workplace it's just as important as creating a more understanding and tolerant and inclusive community. It's part of that. And we think a, an inclusive and understanding labor market means people with autism can have a job. People that are borderline can have a job. I know people that are bipolar that are tremendous resources. Mm -hmm. You know, Why should they not have a job? Why should people that are disabled have such troubles getting into the labor market? If we can help sensitize some workplaces to be more inclusive, then we're making space for a greater diversity also, which will make us stronger. And that's a challenge right now, especially for a lot of corporations here in this Big country, challenge. is to try to allow the opportunity for anyone who's different. to be able to fit any position, yeah. who's different, same, whatever. Or not be. entirely off the mold, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are certain regulations that corporations must follow in order for hiring people, but there are also a little bit of wiggle room to go around certain things, and unfortunately, that's not something anybody can track but it, it creates limitations. In this, in this country alone, there are thousands and thousands of incredibly gifted people with autism that are not working. Is that a loss for them? Yes. But is it a loss for your community, your society, no. your country? Tremendous. Absolutely. Let's bring these resources into play if we can. So how can someone become a part? You said already they can offer to become a book. Do they have to wait for an event? Uh, to be can a book? they reach out I mean, to you and say, I would like to participate, where are you doing it next? In principle, you can sign up anytime, 24 hours a day, through our website, humanlibrary.org. There is a form online, you fill it in, express your interest to be a book, and our editors, <laughs> or publishers, whatever, our librarians, will reach out to you, interview you, and guide you to the training, bring you to a training course. Once you've been trained, vetted, and ready for publication, you go on our bookshelf. You remain on that bookshelf until the invitations come. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're a member of a human library book depot, like Chicago or Bay Area, you receive anywhere between 10 and 20 invitations to be published a year. Mm -hmm. That's high schools, college libraries, universities, 
eBay festivals. We go all kinds of places. We've just been to Burning Man. Uh, so we bring books. We, we nice. go there and publish people. We don't bring books there. Correction. We train our books there. <laughs> yeah, because there are so many amazing people at Burning Absolutely, Man already that, yeah. that are, you know, fantastic people to publish. So that's how we've done it there. Like we do at the IMF, we have a tremendous diversity of staff at the IMF. We train volunteer staff to be published here, and it works quite well. But out in civil society, it's volunteers that come from all over a region. Mm -hmm. They're compiled in a book collection, and then they get published. You know, when you sign up, when you get your invitation to come out to Anne Arundel County Public Library in Maryland. You look at the date, that Saturday, oh wow, Justin, you're available that Saturday. Hell, I'm gonna take yes. And then your book depot manager will reach out to you and let you know if you're being published that day. So we have a look, we see, okay, we got 25 books willing to come. That's maybe 10 more than we need today. And then we put together the best book collection with the most diverse content mm -hmm. and bring them and publish them. I see. And that's, so this way you could be at play. You'd be published several times a year. Yeah, as so many the books times as you could feel be invited like. to do different events. You have them all over these different locations. We're across. in more than 40 states yeah. in the U.S. right now. We have partners, organizers, so that's you could be published. Fantastic. We have an event in Texas tomorrow, while we have an event in D.C. at the same time. It's a big event in Texas tomorrow. So, I mean, you could be, this is yeah, yeah next week, next, and next week it's UCLA for the 100th anniversary. You'd be published at UCLA. This is fantastic. So, I have one final question for yeah. you, Brian. Yeah. Favorite question of mine to ask, and what it is, what is your why? Which basically is, what gets you out of bed every day? Why do you do what you do? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I don't sell toothpaste, but I could. I don't. I do what I think is the most important thing to do. Uh, where you can have the most impact and do the most change. See, I'm into change. I'm into injustice, social injustice. I'm into uh, nobody being left behind and left out. So if this is a way to ensure a better world when I leave, then I think my life is better spent on that and just enriching myself. I feel I'm getting rich in this way, in ways that money could never provide. Look, I met you. Uh, tomorrow I'm gonna meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of people and I go around the world and, and people embrace this library and thank me for the contribution to their community and stuff. I live a, a, a privileged life, a lucky life uh, because of this library. And I think uh, my why is basically if, if you had the chance to change the world into a better place, are you not obligated to do that? Thanks for being, being part of it too. Absolutely. Appreciate I look forward it. to the event tomorrow. Yeah, I look forward to publishing you. And to seeing more of them. So I appreciate it. Thank you all for watching. And Ronnie Abergell, Human Library. Don't judge a book by its cover. We thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Justin Flinner Podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please take a moment to give us a good rating on whatever platform you're listening to. If it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever, any of the platforms, we would love to hear from you. And also send us some comments. You can find us on Facebook at My Metro Medicine. And let us know what you thought of the episode. Let us know what you thought of the interview on YouTube if you watched it there as well. And as always, thank you very much for listening to the Justin Flinner Podcast. I am... Justin Flinner, and I will talk to you next time.
This podcast is brought to you by My Mentor Medicine, an organization that is dedicated to helping people improve their lives by learning to empower themselves and take control of their own life. Any form of reproduction or distribution of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Should you have any questions on using this podcast or information that is contained within this podcast, please write to info at mymetromedicine.com.